Take your Bible, please, and turn to John 14. We're looking this morning at what makes heaven, heaven. What makes heaven, heaven. John 14. It is a blessing to have you all here today, and I hope as we reflect on this service and think about our Lord and Savior, that you are blessed for having been in his presence with his assembly on his day. Father, as we look to your word, may you speak to our hearts. We thank you for your amazing love, for your gracious sacrifice, for your generous forgiveness. We are here today because you bless us. We are here today because you have changed us. And so we pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives from your word and from your spirit so that we may grow and change and be drawn closer to you. And we give you the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with the first four words. Let not your heart. The first thing I want you to think about here is that you have choices. Now, listen carefully. In the words of Jesus Christ, you are responsible for your heart. Let not your heart. So, mark your spot here, please, and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. You are responsible for your own heart. We could use different terms. We could say you have agency. That means you have the ability to choose, make choices, determine actions, pursue things. You have options available. As to this picture, there's multiple paths this lady could take. There's choices. There's options. But we also must accept the fact that you have responsibility. It's not just choices and options. But God says, let not your heart, talking to his disciples, he's saying they have responsibility here. In Proverbs chapter 3, some of you claim some of these verses as your favorite verses in all of Scripture. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. Your heart. For length of days and long life and peace will they add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on thine own understanding, your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Your heart, your paths. Turn back to John 14. Let not your heart. See, Jesus said you have full responsibility for what's going on in your heart. Now, uh, years ago, I was talking with a friend and was talking about somebody who was a, a Christian dating an unsafe person, and the, the friend said, well, you can't control who your heart falls in love with. That's true. But you have full responsibility for what you do about it. 
You can let your heart chase after this, or you can say, no, I love Jesus more. And you can turn away because you're responsible for your heart. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In case we didn't get it the first time, the Holy Spirit had it repeated. Luke 12, 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, if your heart is drawn, say you're a believer and your heart is drawn toward an unbeliever, which the Bible says that's an unequal yoking, you're, you're not linking together with another believer. Um, most marriages where one's a believer and one's not, when they get married, most of the time, either the believer walks away from God or they get a divorce. Occasionally the unbeliever will get saved, but that's extremely rare. And we're supposed to choose to follow God in every relationship. So if, if your heart's chasing after this, what do you need to do? Change your treasure. When you change your treasure, your heart just follows. What you treasure is what your heart follows. So some people are born with a tendency toward doing things that God says are ungodly, different lifestyles. Some people are are thieves. Some little kids, they're just kleptomaniacs in the nursery. You know, they're stealing toys and putting them in their pocket. Kathy was teaching a piano lesson uh, to some kids, and they were getting ready to leave. And Kathy said, "Uh, we, we had matchbox cars or hot wheel cars or something benjamin's cars out the kids were playing with and kathy said some of those cars are missing the kids "Mm." and and kathy could see the pants pockets you know (laughs) empty your pockets and like a dozen cars come out you may have a tendency to do that but you're responsible for your own heart some kids just From the time they're little, they lie so easily and so convincingly. It's such a stress for their parents and their Sunday school teachers. But you're responsible for your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the quiet thoughts in your heart and mind, will they're they're known only to God. Sometimes you're not even sure what's going on in there. And... But, but what goes on in there will determine what you will have, be, and do in the tomorrows of your life. So that's why in Proverbs 4.23, he said, Keep your heart, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart. So you are responsible for your own heart. And Jesus gives two specific responsibilities for your heart right here. Let not your heart be troubled. So, don't worry. Aren't you glad that's over with? Worry is not just a bad habit. Worry is also a sinful act. And biblically, worry is rebellion against God. Because... Uh, when Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, he said, um, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Give thanks, trust the Lord for everything you're going through. And when you're fearful and anxious and fretful, you're not trusting the Lord. You can't trust everything. 
and be fearful at the same time. Trust in God overcomes your anxiety or your anxiety overcomes your trust in God. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be anxious. You have a responsibility to God to make sure your heart is trusting him. In fact, he expounds upon that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, commentators remind us that this is not a transfer. Believe in God, so believe in me. In, the, in a way, like if I said, hey, you can trust me, so you can trust my wife. That would be a transfer. You know me, you trust me, so you can trust my wife. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, you know God the Father, so you can transfer that trust over to me. He's saying, you know the Father, and I and the Father are one. You can trust God. You can trust God the Father. You can trust God the Son. You can trust God the Holy Spirit. You can trust God because God is one. There's one God. And so we trust both God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus is saying, you're already believing on God the Father. Now believe on God the Son because we're the same. It's not a transfer of trust. It's just a concentration of trust into the one God. You can choose to trust. You have choices. In the words of Jesus, you can choose not to worry. If this were confession time, and I ask you to raise your hands if you've worried about something this week, how many hands do you think might go up? We can choose not to worry. Now, Satan can put thoughts in your head, can't he? We know that from Scripture, Acts chapter 5. You put thoughts in the head of Ananias and Sapphira, and Peter rebuked them for that, and they ended up dying because of that. So Satan can put thoughts in your head. Other things can put thoughts in your head. Somebody can say something, and your brain can suddenly have this weird thought out there. How many of you have ever waked up and thought, what a weird, crazy dream? Yeah, Yeah, thoughts can get in there. So here's the key. The key is not, don't ever let those thoughts get in your head. The only way you can stop having strange thoughts in your head is to die. So having them pop in there, Satan's going to throw some, society's going to, but you have a choice of what you do with them. You can bring those thoughts into captivity, unto the obedience of Christ, or you can dwell on those thoughts. You can have an anxious thought and say, Lord, I choose to trust you. What time I am afraid, I will trust him. When you have that anxious thought, you can choose to trust. Or you can just dwell on that anxious thought. Oh my, oh my, oh my. Well, instead of saying, oh my, you should say, oh my Lord, and submit to him. And not be anxious. We live in a fretful, fearful world. But we can choose not to worry. And in the words of Jesus Christ, you can choose to trust and believe. Believe on the Father. Believe on the Son. You can choose to do that. So, so far we've covered 14 words, right? 
I'm tired. Let's back up a little. Let's get back into verse 13. In verse thir- chapter 13, sorry. In chapter 13 of John, several things take place. One of the things that takes place is Jesus says one of his disciples is going to betray him. Now, if you were in that setting, there's 13 guys around the table. Jesus and his 12 disciples the apostles that he has called out. And he says, one of them is going to betray them. Now, we all know it's Judas because, you know, you're reading in John and it says Judas, the one that would betray him. Because when John wrote that, he already knew. But when John was living that, he didn't know that. Nobody knew that. They said, Lord, is it I? Am I going to be the one? None of them knew. It wasn't like, oh, man, I I bet it's Dean. Dean's going to be the one. (laughs) Nobody had that thought. Nobody. And I don't think it will be, just using an illustration. But Christ said, one of you is going to betray me. Do you think that was calming or unsettling? Unsettling. They were probably feeling a little bit anxious. And then he says, I'm going to go away. They've been walking with him for over three years. They have anticipated that he would usher in the kingdom then. They didn't know, and we didn't know, there'd be a 2,000-year gap between the offer of the kingdom, the rejection by Israel, and the church age. Even the apostle Paul and Peter in their writing, it seemed like they were expecting the church age to be maybe 50 years, not almost 2,000 years. But they... They were anxious. He's going to go away. Where's he going to go? I want to go with you. You can't go with me now. This was fretful times for them. And then Peter said, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you till death. And Jesus said, tonight or before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times in a row. So they had this meal. And Jesus says he's going to die. And he's going to go away, and one of them's going to betray him, and Peter's going to deny him. And so our Bible has a transition from chapter 13 to chapter 14. But when John wrote these words, there was no transition. Chapter 13, the last verse, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. Peter, you're going to deny me three times in a row before sunrise. Let not your heart be troubled. One of you is going to betray me. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to go away. Let not your heart be troubled. The disciples may have been confused. They may have been discouraged. And so Jesus challenged and comforted them. Let not your heart be troubled. See, uh, there's several things that I want us to think about heaven. Uh, This morning, the first is that heaven is a hope. Heaven is a hope. Now, I don't mean hope is in the way this world say, oh, I hope our team wins the game, you know. Well, you know, in a couple of the football games that took place yesterday, the worst team won. I won't say which those games were, but uh, 
ASU beat U of A. That was one of them. Hope is not, oh, you know, like Kathy, I used to tease her that she never really did this, but I joked that she would skip down to the mailbox hoping we won a sweepstakes, but she, ne- she never did that. Uh, it's, it's not that hope. Like uh, some of you kids, you may be thinking, man, I hope we go out for pizza for lunch. No, the hope that we have in Christ is a confident expectation. In fact, let's use those two illustrations of the sweepstakes and the pizza. If this were that kind of hope, then you would have already been notified you won the sweepstakes. They would have sent you plane tickets to fly you there to get your money, and you know it's yours That's the kind of hope we have in Christ. If it's for pizza, then your parents have already said they're taking you out to borrow's pizza, and you're you're already thinking about it, and you hope pastor preaches a really short message. Don't get your hopes up. And and you know you're going to have that pizza. So this is is that hope, that confident expectation. And heaven is a hope. Jesus says, let's read it together. In John 14, let's read the first three verses together, okay? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Heaven is a hope. I'm going away. I'm preparing a place for you. And I'm coming back for you. When I was a kid, my dad was in the Air Force, and we got transferred a lot. Well, he did, and we went with him except for a year he had to go off by himself. But most of the time, what dad would do is he'd fly into another community and he'd talk with real estate agents and he'd find a place that was relatively close to a school and he'd either rent the house, buy the house, whatever, and then we would move there. So dad would go away and then he'd come back and get us and we would move there. And that happened multiple times while I was growing up. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm preparing a place for you, and then I'm coming back. So heaven is a hope that he's coming back for me. Uh, That's why when Paul was writing about the the difficulties of the future days, and and he said, uh, but we're going to go up to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he ends with this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Because there's a comfort there. There's a hope there. there. I'm going away and I'm coming back. That's something kids need to learn. Little kids, you know, I mean, sometimes when mommy gets out of their sight at first, they scream and cry because they don't think she's coming back. And that silly little game, peekaboo, actually teaches kids that adults can go away and then come back. And they go away and then come back. We live in a sin-cursed world, filled with darkness and sometimes with despair. But there is a place of light, a place of hope, a place of joy. And our Savior is going to take us there. In Revelation 21, John described heaven based on what's not there, what's missing in heaven, 
What were some of the things John said were missing in heaven? No sorrow. No sickness. No tears. No pain. It, it doesn't really say no time. Uh, but I mean, that time's going to be different in heaven. But there, there's going to be fruit growing every month. We won't have a stress over time. No anxiety over time. But when, when the angel says time shall be no more, it, he's really saying the deadline has come for the action of God and planet earth. And so when it describes the new heaven and the new earth, there's going to be new fruit every month. I don't know how time's going to work in heaven. There's not going to be night. There's not going to be pain. There's not going to be death. All those things are going to be missing. And so it's going to be a different world, but, but it's a hope, a glorious hope. How many of you wish we never had to see death again on planet earth? Yeah. I have no idea how many funerals I've preached. I actually kept a record for a while. And when I got over 100, I just stopped. I heard a preacher once say he preached over 1,000 funerals. And I thought, I don't want to focus on that. I've preached thousands and thousands of messages for living people, not just memories of those who passed away. Heaven is a, it's a hope that we have. That people want this hope for heaven. In fact, even people who do not believe in Jesus Christ, they still have a hope that there's, after this life, there's something better. They, they want something better. They have that hope. Without Christ, they won't get it. But they have that hope. Heaven is a hope. Secondly, Heaven is a place. Heaven is a place. It's not sitting on clouds playing harps. How boring does that sound? I also think it's not sitting in front of a big screen TV watching football. Heaven's going to be radically different, but radically satisfying. But it's a place. Listen to the words that Jesus used. In my Father's house the place that God has prepared for us. There are many dwelling places. The King James and the New King James call it mansions, but all the other translate many dwelling places. I don't think you're going to have your own mansion in heaven. You might have a phenomenal apartment in the house of God, fully satisfying, amazing, uh, but we have dwelling places described. And then he says... Um, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So it's a place. It's a better than here place. We don't know exactly how much better, but it's going to be better. Uh we don't know for sure even where heaven is. I have a, a picture here of part of the universe, some clouds and, and nebulous and clusters and stars, not clouds. Um, we, we don't know for sure where heaven is. The Bible describes it as the third heaven, that there is the atmospheric heaven where birds and airplanes fly and our lower satellites. And then we have the celestial heaven, that's the stars, and then there's the heaven of God. Now, an old-time uh, Bible scholar 
finished date used to call, every time he talked about heaven, he would call it planet heaven. Well, he had some other things I strongly disagreed with. Is heaven a planet? I don't know. Could it be? Yes. He suggests it's it's the North Star because we all go up to heaven. And so if you're on the bottom of the earth and you go up to heaven, or if you're on the top of the earth and go up to heaven, or you're on the side, you go up to heaven, we all go to the north, so heaven's probably the North Star. That's what he said. There's no biblical evidence for that at all. Heaven's a place, a real place. Heaven is a real place where real people go. And real people have already seen heaven, not just those who have died, but the Apostle Paul saw heaven. Stephen saw heaven in their life on earth. They saw heaven. It's a real place where real people go, and we really live with the Lord. He's going to receive us unto himself. He's preparing this place for us that where he is, there we can be. Because heaven is a place. It's a hope. And it's a place. But even more importantly, heaven is a person. Look at these verses again from the personal aspect of, of Jesus connecting with his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, God the Father, God the Son. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. If this wasn't the truth, I would have told you the truth. That's who Jesus is. He is the truth. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, Whenever my mom prepared a place for me when I was a kid, um, it was a good place. She, she made nice dinners. She fixed our rooms nice. Uh, she was very artistic without much money. It, it was a place that, that we always loved. And every time we moved, we, thought, we hated to leave the house that we loved. And then mom made a nicer place for us the next time. And the Lord is making a place that is beyond our expectations. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And that's talking about life on earth. Imagine what it's going to be in heaven. We, We can't imagine. It's beyond our capacity. I go to prepare a place for you. This personal. I'm going for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming back for you. Heaven is a person. The personal language, believe in me, my father's house. I would have told you, I prepare a place for you. I will come again. I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is that glorious place where we are with the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there's going to be some pretty spectacular things in heaven, right? The the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
is described as having 12 gates of pearl. Gates of pearl. Most of us can't even afford to buy a pearl. But the gates will be pearl. The streets will be pure, almost transparent gold. Uh, like crystal gold. A gold so refined we've never seen it in Earth's atmosphere. But we will see it then. And, and the pavement will be gold. I don't think we'll have to worry about potholes in heaven. It's, it's going to be spectacular. No sorrow, no pain, no death, no tears. We, we will no longer have our sinful nature. Our sinful nature will be eradicated and we will be like Jesus was when he was on the earth, just totally focused on pleasing and following the Father. But the most spectacular thing about heaven is Jesus Christ. The one who hung on the cross in your place and in mine who paid the sins for every person in this room and every person in this world. He took their sins on himself on the cross. When I was a young kid, uh, the much older brother of a friend of mine fought in Vietnam. And he came back from Vietnam and he had some injuries and some scars. And and we would sit down and he'd, he'd... he didn't want to, but we kind of badgered him into telling us the stories. And, and there were scars on his hand and scars on his head. Where, anyway, um, we're going to see the scars on our Savior. We're going to see the scar in his hand. We're going to see the scars in his feet that, that he did for us. Jesus in his resurrected body told his disciples, look at my hands and feet. I think those scars will still be upon Jesus forever. I honestly, I don't think we'll have scars because our scars don't mean much. In fact, some of our scars are because of our stupidity, right? But his scars mean something. And they're a reminder of the glory of God for all eternity. And heaven is a person. When I was a young kid, I liked to be alone. I still, every day, like to have some quiet time alone. But when I was a kid, I I preferred it. You know, some kids, they're people people. You know, they want to hang out with other people, play with other toys. I wanted to go find a place where no one could mess with me and I could play with my toys all alone. And I remember we were talking about heaven one day and I was not a believer. And I said, man, if I go to heaven, I want a place as far away from everybody else over in the corner where no one will mess with me. And one of my siblings said, when you go to heaven, you're going to place a place right next to Jesus in the middle of everybody worshiping him. And I couldn't understand that when I was an unsaved kid. But I sure understand that now. Imagine. I mean, it's great in here when we all sing and everybody's lifting their voice to worship. Imagine billions of people 
We, we sang, uh, what was the song you picked Wednesday morning, Benjamin? Thou Art Worthy. We had uh, a service Wednesday morning and Wednesday evening, and everybody picked a hymn and shared a blessing. And, and he, we started out, Benjamin, first uh, Wednesday morning. He picked Thou Art Worthy. And I picture that's one of the songs, because Revelations describes it that way, that that's one of the songs we're going to sing about Jesus. Thou Art Worthy. You know, it sounded great Sunday or Wednesday morning with a dozen of us singing it. Imagine what it's going to sound like in heaven with billions of us singing, Thou art worthy. Because heaven is about the person of Jesus Christ and what He did for us. So heaven is a hope and it's a place and it's a person. But heaven also, because of Jesus Christ, heaven is home. He takes us home. Now, in our culture today, most babies are not born at home. How many of you were born at home? Most babies are not born at home. I was almost born in the back of an ambulance, but they happened to make it to the hospital, rushing my mom there after a car accident. Uh, But there have been babies born in elevators and in cabs and in police cars and in ambulances and in hospitals. But most babies today are are born someplace else, a birthing center or a hospital, and then they go home. And there's a joy for the parents when they take that baby home. And there's a joy for the Lord when he takes us home. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of of his saints, the scripture says. When he takes you home, either by death or by the rapture, there's a joy for him because it's home. And you know, we moved a lot when I was a kid and we learned that home is where your family is. Didn't matter what state we lived in, even in Texas. <laughs> you know, that's true about heaven too. Heaven is where your family is. Home is where God's family is. Home is heaven. Heaven is home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue with the Lord. Heaven is a home and it's prepared and it's waiting for you. Peter called it an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. So what makes Heaven? Heaven? Well, the real focal point of heaven is Jesus. You plus Jesus equals heaven. That's what makes heaven, heaven. Did you notice something? How many of you right now know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You got a little bit of heaven right now. Heaven is you plus Jesus. It's about being with Jesus. Yes, there's streets of gold, and yes, there's beauty beyond our imagination, and I really think those of us with hearing aids and eyeglasses won't need either one in heaven. But heaven is all about Jesus. Paul said, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's desire was to be with Jesus. Christ. John said, if you have the Son, you have life. Heaven is Jesus plus you. 
the closer you get to Jesus right now, the better prepared you are for heaven when you'll be with him personally in the life to come. Jesus makes heaven heaven. He gives our hope in heaven. He died to give you life. He makes life worth living. He paid the penalty for your sins so you can go to heaven with him. And so will we ever be with the Lord. You plus Jesus equals heaven. One of the last things I did last night was go over my message anticipating this morning. And the first thing I did this morning, I woke up singing a song in his presence. We had planned to close with a different song this morning, but we changed and we're going to sing in his presence. That's what heaven is, being in the presence of the Lord forever. Let's stand as we sing.